drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today we have Mr. Tommy Rollins as our guest. Tommy is a friend and mentor to Mike and myself, and he was someone that we were fortunate enough to meet during our time wrestling at Ohio State. And although we don't want to make wrestling a theme of this podcast, we brought Tommy on because we thought he'd have some valuable content to provide, both during his time as an athlete and in his time in his professional career today. He definitely didn't disappoint in this episode. Before we jump into things, though, I want to read straight from his Wikipedia page to give a little bit of background on him. Tommy graduated from Bishop Brady High School here in Central Ohio in 1999, where he was a two-time Ohio State champion in wrestling and the 1999 National High School champion. He had a career high school record of 167-10, and 10, with 98 of those wins coming from pins. He went on to college to wrestle for The Ohio State University from 2001 to 2004. During his career at Ohio State, he was a two-time NCAA champion, a three-time NCAA finalist, four-time NCAA All-American, and two-time Big Ten champion. He's also the career record holder at Ohio State for takedowns, wins, and team points. Following graduation from Ohio State in 2004, Rollins went on to compete internationally until 2012. During that time span, he was a university world champion, a Pan Am champion, a two-time U.S. Open champion, and a six-time U.S. national team member. Rollins was narrowly defeated in the finals of the Olympic trials in 2008 and 2012, becoming one of the few two-time Olympic alternates in American wrestling history. After his loss in the 2012 Olympic trials, Tommy retired from competition in wrestling, went on to the professional scene where he became the VP of sales at RS Handline. He also co-founded a company called Rudis, an athletic apparel company. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let Mike introduce Tommy into the show. Hey, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Tommy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm excited about um, the, the podcast that you guys got started up. I think it's a good theme. And um, I know you guys personally, so I think it's I think it's going to go great. So I'm happy to be on, and thanks for thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure, we're psyched to have you. And place that I want to kick off, and I don't know if this is the perfect spot, since like you said, Mike and I know you personally. We're going to try to make this as best experiences for the listeners out there who don't know you. But when you were leaving high school, you had a great high school wrestling career, scholarships all over the place. One of the other schools you're considering was Michigan. Even I'd like to hear what made you stick around in Central Ohio and become a Buckeye. Well, I, yeah, I guess you know, I, I, I was able to have a, a good enough prep career where I was being recruited fairly heavily by, by a lot of the better programs in Division One around the country. At the time, Ohio State was not a perennial powerhouse like they are now, a good program, but, but not a you know top five or six every year like we're experiencing now. So mm-hmm. the thought of going to Ohio State when you're a blue-chip recruit during my time when I was in high school in the late nineties, it was not, uh, you know, a no brainer, so to speak. Um, just because, you know, the, the level of success they were having was, 
was not, again not bad but not great so you you had to consider other options and things like that so mm-hmm. at the time Michigan was doing tremendous uh, as well as those other schools that I looked at but it came down to Michigan and Ohio State and um uh, Michigan's a great program there you know there's no reason why I didn't go. there's no negative reason why I did not go to Michigan there's just positive reasons why I went to Ohio State First and foremost was the people. I was very comfortable with the coaching staff. I believed in in their ability to help me accomplish my goals. And I also uh, was, you know, born in Columbus. So how could you not want to go to Ohio State for reasons that have nothing to do with wrestling? So all of those wrapped into one, you know, kind of prompted my final decision to go to Ohio State. But I think also when as I look back on it, I didn't know this at the time, but as I look back on it, I think that one of the one of the key characteristics of someone who is able to find success in life, you know, I think knowledge of self, knowing who you are and what is going to, where you're weak, where you're strong is, is a very big factor. And I think even at a young age, I, I knew, I intuitively knew what might be good for me, I think, whereas, you know, it might not look like it's better for everybody else. And so, I think I kind of felt like it was the best decision, and it turned out to be the best decision for me. I had a wonderful experience at Ohio State and um, spent you know, over a decade on campus between training, coaching, wrestling, all that stuff. So it was a good experience, and so that's kind of why I went to Ohio State over Michigan or Penn State or um, Oklahoma. I think it came down to those four. So, mm-hmm. And you, know, you eventually ended up at the pinnacle of the sport, but I think – <clears throat> something that you just said before we jump into that is your self-awareness at such a young age. And I think that, you know, these the more successful people we talk to on this show and the more that I encounter in life, I think the most successful people in the world have huge self-awareness. And we kind of talked about this with John DeJulius and um, James Lawrence. We had him on. And I think it's like an alignment of your skills, your values, and your talents. And when you make those three things line up, <clears throat> people reach the pinnacle of whatever they're doing. So <clears throat> how do you think that you were able to develop such a strong sense of self-awareness as a kid? Was it something that your parents instilled in you or was it just a conscious effort to constantly become better every day and it just kind of came came with that? Well, I think, I, think, I think being self-aware and knowing yourself is, like I already said, is, is critical. But sometimes just not having doubt in what you're pursuing mm-hmm. um, allows you to become self-aware. It allows you to know who you are because if you do something with all of your heart um, – you you position yourself to be seen as a guy who always knows what's best for him and knows who he is as a person or she is as a person. And so I, I had very little doubt that that I could accomplish what I set my mind to. And thankfully, that can be attributed to <clears throat> my upbringing and um, how I was raised by my parents and the people that I surrounded myself with or that I was surrounded by um, in, in, in coaching and great mentors as a youth. I don't have... Uh, there's a lot of people that have amazing success stories that started with, um, you know, basically carving it out of granite. I, my story is a little bit more vanilla in the sense that I, I was given every opportunity and every resource to to do whatever it is that I set my mind to by being in a great family and being in a great parental environment. And so my parents always instilled a belief that I could do whatever it is that I wanted to. And I still believe that to this day. And that allows you to have, you know, a self-awareness that allows you to really, um, buy into your own thoughts. And so that's probably the start of it is my upbringing, but 
also just, you know, when you do the trial and error and you set high goals, you know, people who set high goals and have really done it for a long, long time, multiple, multiple times, you realize that you fail more than you succeed. And so by that trial and error, that trial by fire, I think you start to recognize where you're good and where you're not so good. And as life goes on, you start to really hone in on, I'm I'm just going to do what I'm good at <laughs> or try to as much as I can all day long. And so I think that's kind of what it becomes. And then it's like, you know, you kind of you kind of just hone in on where where your where your strengths are and and try to build around that and and limit the weaknesses and improve on the weaknesses and try to try to continue to improve your yourself but you focus on where you're good is is, is what i think um, a lot of successful people have managed to do yeah tommy and that's a really good perspective i think and um, earlier you were talking a bit about mentorship and how it played a key role in your life and uh, recently, I read an article from Forbes talking about how young professionals shouldn't be choosing their first job, but rather choosing their first boss. And so what they meant by that was just that you should find a person that's a great leader and is going to make you a better person rather than looking for maybe money or what you want to do in life at your first job. So what do you think about that? And how is that applied in your life? I I completely agree with that. I think that, you know, I think everybody wants to 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 accomplish their goals as quickly as possible. I mean, anybody that is li- – I mean, who wouldn't want to accomplish their goals as quickly as they can? But you have to really confront the reality of, of the situation when you have a plan for yourself and realize how long it's going to take. And if you don't have someone helping you uh, develop that roadmap, map, develop your own skills, develop who you are as a person, um, and make you more well-rounded, then then you're just silly. So I've I have – I probably have over a dozen people in my life since birth that I would consider a mentor. Um, and, and we don't have the time to go through all of them, but I, I think that that's critical. And I think that people that, that want to want to find success, they, they, they find men- mentors, they pursue mentors. Mentors don't present themselves to you. You present yourself to a mentor. And, um, I've always taken that uh, very seriously. I always enjoy being. I enjoy being mentored. I enjoy being coached. I enjoy being told um, where I could be better, as long as it's constructive. I mean, I got to know that the person cares about me. If somebody cares about me, I can take any type of criticism. Really, mm-hmm. if I can tell they don't really care about me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hell on wheels when somebody offers me criticism. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, if if I can tell somebody really cares about me as a person. Um, I, I can take almost anything, and I and I and I thrive off of that, and I want to be better um, all the time. So, and I think that that's um, something that you guys have in in your in your uh, makeup, and you pursue and you seek out mentors, and I think it's going to pay dividends for you long term. And I think that a lot of people uh, that have been able to have good fortune um, in life are able to do that. And it doesn't have to be business; it could be it could be spiritual mentors, and how do you, how do you you know it could be really anything for that matter, but you can't get through life by only generating your own thoughts and your own opinions. You know, a lot of that, you know, you have to be influenced by people. And, and if you're influenced by people that really know what they're doing, you, you obviously you, you better yourself for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I've never, and I don't know about Mike, I can't speak for him, but I know personally I've never consciously realized that I seek out mentors. I've just constantly always been passionate about trying to find people who are where I want to be in life and are and act like I want to be and then just trying to mimic everything they do. So it's interesting 
the way that you kind of broke it down and explained the way it really is because I've never even thought about it, but I've done it unconsciously multiple times. But um, and that's more of a statement. But I think that leads us back into so you know it kind of makes sense why you chose Ohio State. It had the right people. It just felt right for you. But then take us to your career there. I mean, obviously you had a lot of success, being a four-time All-American, two-time NCAA champion. But in your eyes, I mean, I'm sure the goal was four-time NCAA champion, and, and you had some setbacks with breaking your leg in the semis. And take us through that experience and take us through the ups and downs and kind of what kept you level and kept you on straight for your goals even when you fell short a couple times. Well, I think I think in anything, and this is not just wrestling, but reaching my potential, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with reaching my potential. So if I believe my potential is X, I become neurotic about attaining X. And so I thought I could compete for a national championship every year at the collegiate level. It wasn't always rosy, but I feel like I, I did that um, every year. And, you know, being a student athlete, especially at age 18 or 19, when you walk onto a college campus, I had never trained twice a day. And people think they work hard in, in middle school and high school, but you're just getting a glimpse of, of the lifestyle, the true lifestyle that it takes to achieve um, wrestling success at a high level when you get into college and international. And so, Learning how to train twice a day, you know, basically six days a week, learning how to not have a curfew, not answer to parents, learning how to, you know, try to be a, a good student, try to advance myself um, academically, trying to have a girlfriend, trying to have friends, trying to do all of those things all at once um, is, is, is difficult, especially when it's your first taste. You know, you don't have you don't have the process in place. Yeah. So. You know, I always let um, my goals uh, be the guiding compass of how I lived my life. And so I feel like I did a pretty good job of that uh, running the onset probably after five or six months as a red shirt. And from there, you know, uh, talent plays into it. And thankfully, I was blessed with a little bit of that. And so I, I shot right up to the to the top ranks and was slugging it out with, you know, not 100 uh, Division one heavyweights, but probably five or six every year had legitimate chances at being a national champion. And thankfully, out of the four times that I wanted to be one, I got it done twice. Uh, to your point, Josh, I mean, I lost in double OT as a freshman. So mm -hmm. could I have been a four-time NCAA champion? Absolutely. Should I have been? You know, I don't think that's that's reality. The reality is there's a lot of people that could have, should have, would have. Um, but I was in the hunt for four years and I'm thankful that I won twice. I don't have really regrets uh, result-wise of, of my collegiate career. Um, that's not the case in every aspect of my wrestling career. But from the collegiate perspective, I was very happy with how it turned out. I was surrounded by great people. Um, first and foremost, Russ Hellickson, who's like a second father to me. And really just uh, fostered a, an environment that was personally uh, as good as it could have been for me. And so from there, I was able to have a lot of success and uh, – a lot of ups and downs, but you know I'm I'm very thankful for it. That's really good to hear. You know I think that anything I whenever I uh, talk to people that are high achievers and succeed, they're always grateful for everything that came about as a result of their efforts. And um, but you know I think in in your junior year you you actually broke your leg in the semis. Is that correct? I um, was winning nine to two in the quarters and suffered a third degree high ankle sprain in the middle of the match. I won the match like 11 to eight. Um, but it was worse than a break. A third degree high ankle sprain is, is as bad as it gets. So I tried to wrestle in the semis 
and 30 seconds in realized it's just not working. He took me down with ease. And so I had to drop out. That was obviously a heartbreaking um, event for me. I was a defending national champion. Uh, the guy that I'd beaten double overtime as in the finals as a sophomore went on to win it. I was not able to to make the finals, you know, statistically or if I if I it really did have one regret, and this kind of sounds like I'm grasping at straws, so I don't like to bring it up too much, but I would have been, you know, I, th- I think I would have been at least a four-time finalist uh, had I not hurt my ankle, and I think there's only like 12 or 13 guys that have ever done that, so that would have been a nice little feather in the cap, but you know, you, 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 those, those types of trials and tribulations, you know, things that are completely out of your control, like a broken ankle or things that are completely in your control, like losing in the Olympic trial finals, you know, twice, those, those round you out as a person. And it, and it's, to me, it's, it's fuel for the journey the journey being life, not wrestling. And, um, I am a better father for it. I'm a better husband. I think I'm a better friend. Um, I understand, I think, you know, all of the, the the twists and turns that life can bring you because of those experiences. And I always tell people that how can you ever be unhappy with what's happened in the past if you're completely satisfied with where you are right now? And that's the case for me. I mean, I, I couldn't be happier with with the, you know my life. I'm 34 years old. I have a, a loving family, four kids. Um, I, I head up a a great sales uh, organization at RS Handline. I'm co-founder in a in a clothing company that's beginning to take off. And so, you know, all of those failures, you know, losing the Olympic trial finals twice, you know, uh, breaking my ankle as a junior, um, you know, just putting my life on hold after after college for eight years to try to pursue the Olympic dream, and all of those sacrifices and all those things that could be considered negative, you know, how could I regret them if I'm happy with where I'm at right now? So. To me, um, they're not regrets. They're not uh, anything that hasn't helped shape me to where I'm at right now. That being said, you know, do I think about some of those things every day? You bet. Do I wish that they wouldn't have happened? I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I guess to some extent, yeah. But I'm happy with where I'm at right now, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, I think being able to have that perspective shapes every decision that you make in the moment too because I think that you know when you make a decision and whether it be risky or safe you know that in five years no matter how it turns out you're still going to be happy with who you become because I think you believe in yourself you believe in the process and you believe that everything that you're going for you give your all into and then you you don't really have time to regret the past in that sense it seems like at least from when I've talked to you and what you're saying now which I think is a great perspective and a great takeaway from all of our listeners to understand that you know even if in the moment you take risks and you fail or you fall short, if you feel like you gave it everything you got and you feel like you were pursuing your goals and you're happy with the way that your life is turning out slowly, even if it's going ups and downs, you know, it's, you don't have to worry so much about failing. It's not, it's not as big of a setback as most people have to take it. Um, but it's, 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 you're you're exactly right, Josh. I, I completely agree. And then, so, so take us from, you know, college to, going to the Olympic trials, and you, like you said, you lost two times in the finals to be an Olympian. And, you know, one thing that I want to know is when you walked off the mat, and I'm assuming by the time you got to the Olympics, you know, your family was there, your wife was there for you. But even in college, when you took those major losses and you walked off, who were the main people that were there for you, and how did that shape you recovering from that loss? Well, my I got married right out of college, and my girlfriend, who in college is now my wife, so... You know, she's been the the center of of my life um, 
from a you know sharing success and 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 burdening failure you know she she did it all with me so that's probably first and foremost the person that I sought you know comfort in when those types of things happen but you know my parents probably not even probably definitely secondarily to to my wife they they've always been there my father has been an instrument, instrumental person in in my wrestling career and helping me interpret uh failure and and deal with failure and and also you know handle success because there's a great responsibility with success and there's a great uh it's it's easy to lose perspective with success just like with failure so um, you know, those, those are, that's kind of been the center for me. And then I've just had great coaches and great mentors, but as in regards to failure, you know, it's it, in a sick and twisted way, you know, you kind of, you get good at handling failure. The more you fail, you, you, you learn how to fail forward. You know, you learn how to constructively, um, interpret something that didn't happen the way you want it to have happen. You've learned how to have that be not just fuel or fire that I'm I'm not going to let that happen again. And that's certainly an element of it. No question, but just how to uh, approach life. And I think that's one thing that wrestling, if I were to say in a, in a nutshell, what is, what is wrestling given you now that you're 34 and <clears throat> your competitive wrestling days are long behind you? I would say that because I've succeeded and, and, and I've also failed just as much in the sport, I have an unshakable confidence um, in myself, and I don't say that uh, arrogantly. I just say that as a matter of fact. I have an unshakable confidence that um, you could you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and and I might get you know my head kicked in um, in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. And then on the flip side, I've also learned um, in wrestling through wrestling that you better have your head on a swivel because at any given moment um you can get you can get your head knocked off and and I and there's a there's a tremendous amount of humility because of the failures that I've had in wrestling that I guess I just always know that things can be taken from you I always you, you always know that there's somebody out there doing things as good as you better than you harder than you um, you can always get taken out. So it's kind of that dynamic of I believe I can do anything, but I also believe that at any moment it can be taken from you. And learning how to live in that reality has really helped me as a person uh, all the way, you know, business, father, husband, you know, all the key relationships that I hold in my life. That's really what wrestling has given me is just that that confidence and that humility, you know, happening simultaneously. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening today. We're just going to take a really quick break to support Columbus, Ohio native Lewis Howes, who is bringing an amazing event back to the city September 29th through October 1st, the Summit of Greatness. At this event, Lewis is bringing together some of the most inspiring leaders in the world to speak, but most importantly, the event's designed with the individuals attending in mind and at the forefront to help them get the most out of the weekend. You can listen to Lewis describe it himself at thesummitofgreatness.com. You can also find the itinerary there, the list of speakers, and pick yourself up some tickets. Thanks a lot to Lewis for bringing this back to Columbus. And without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Absolutely. That's, that's really good stuff, Tommy. Hey, and, you know, you mentioned you're done. You know, your competing days are over. But, but one thing that I always like to think about, and, you know, I was wondering, maybe you probably, you probably think the same way, um, life's a competition. Everything is a competition. You know, you're competing with your, 
your peers for a job you're competing with, your peers for good grades you're competing with, your peers for that that client. Other other businesses are com- competing for your clients. And so I don't think, you know, the competition really never ends, does it? Never does. You're exactly right. Um, and it only ends if you want it to end. And I don't. I love to compete. Um, as much as I love wrestling, I'm, I'm, the older I get, the more I realize is that is, – was it wrestling that I loved or is it just competing that I love? Because I like business as much as I like wrestling, you know, and, and um, love business as much as I love wrestling. And so competing, if you want it to take place, you can always compete. And I live my life every day that way. When I get in my car to go to work, I turn the on, the on switch comes on. And, and I'm a different person. I got a coffee in my hand and I'm heading to the office and I'm ready for battle. And that's the way I approach my day all the time. And then I try my best, not always successfully. If we had my wife on the podcast, she would certainly have, have something to say, but I try my best to, <laughs> to turn it off when I come back in the house for dinner, um, you know, six o'clock or so at night. But I'm always trying to find a way to, to, to better myself. And I think that I work with people, thankfully. Um, at the handline company as well as uh, in facilitating and supporting Rudis where you know I want to be around like-minded people I want to be around people that are just looking for that that edge every day because um, competing is fun it, it really is and so to your point Mike it's always competition for me um, at least in the professional sense from business perspective I try not to take that home with me um, you know being a father is is counterintuitive to being um, uh, you know, a, a competitive businessman. Sometimes, sometimes it's the same thing because I think management is a lot like fatherhood to some extent. But you know, it's just interesting. Fatherhood is a whole different dynamic. So I try not to introduce that mentality uh, at home. But at business, absolutely, I'm just like the guy in a singlet and a headgear uh, in front of eighteen thousand people trying to win a national title. That's how I approach my work life. Was it hard for you to take that? competitive mindset in wrestling and switch it to business you know because i notice a lot of people when they lose wrestling in their life and i'm sure it's like this with other sports but like you put so much of your life into wrestling becomes part of who you are into your identity and you know especially if you don't if you never achieve that olympic gold medal or something sometimes maybe you feel like you know you didn't reach your ultimate goal so was it hard and do you feel like you lost your identity a little bit going into business or did you just transition that fire right into what you're doing um I think that other people have had a harder time than I had, Josh, candidly. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that was tough for me is that the last, I don't know, 15, 12 years of my wrestling career, I was a specialist. I was an expert. I was a black belt. I was, you know, tops in my industry. I was, quote, an industry giant, so to speak. And Humility. I got used to that. I, I got used to <laughs> Yeah, I got used to that, though. I got used to being an expert. You know, I got used to being a guy that, you know, hardly ever went wrong. And Mm -hmm. people looked to for um, they wanted to try to do things the way that I did them. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's just a kind of a matter of fact. And then you go into business and you're just another guy. Mm -hmm. And that drove me. I kind of liked it in a way, but it felt you know, it was, it, I felt like a 13 a year old kid at the Ken Churchill wrestling camp or the Jeff Jordan wrestling camp. That's just, I'm just trying to be a state champ and I literally don't know how to be one. I know I want to be one mm-hmm. and I know the passion's there. I know the, the, 
the skill set, the, the 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 raw ability is there, but I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to look at a PNL. I don't know how to sell produce at a high level. I don't know how to have a sophisticated conversation about supply chain and logistics and things like that and how our company can add value for the prospect of the co- I don't know how to do that. I want to do it and I know I can do it, but I don't know how to. And so that was humbling. But thankfully, you know, I was so driven that that it, you know, it just my 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 passion, my desire to overcome those type of things were were so far more overwhelming than than the hurdles. And so you know, I, I, I continue to hone in on those skills and now I can have those intelligent conversations um, <clears throat> about our business, kind of like, uh, you know, being a, a specialist in wrestling, although I don't think I'm anywhere close to knowing produce than the way I know wrestling, but it's the same thought process. So that transition to your point, Josh, is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also excited by it. I was kind of like an adventure, you know, it's like you're standing on the frontier. It's, it's new. Everything's new. Um, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here, no, but good. just, just to finish the thought, um, there's a mundaneness about being a wrestler and knowing exactly what I should do all the time, um, and how to do it and being a specialist, being a quote expert, you know, there was very rarely did I see something new. Did I see a way to improve myself? It wasn't as common. It wasn't as obvious, but when I was a 13 year old wrestler, that was absolutely the case. So I feel that way in business right now. I mean, I the more I learn about business, the more I realize I don't know anything, and that is exciting. And that that fuels me. That makes me want to go to work the next day and work even harder because I realize how much I don't know. If that makes any sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, it's something that me and Mike talk about all the time. I think that we've experienced. Um, obviously we were never even remotely close to the level that you're at in wrestling, but going through wrestling and then being like at top level academically and then leaving that and now going into a business world where you know nothing and you feel like you're just a newbie and you feel like you're the kid who walked onto the mat in sixth grade and just got de- destroyed. It's hard because you, you just feel like, like, what am I good at now? So do you have any tips from you jumping into the produce world? Obviously you probably started not knowing anything. It had to be even right. harder because you started at such a later age than most people do in a professional setting. Was there a certain mindset that you went in every day? Like, obviously, you said you liked it a little bit, but was it like, hey, I'm just going to put my nose to the grindstone. I know I'm going to keep going. And that unshakable confidence you have in yourself, was that part of it that led you to be able to be as good as you are now in a matter of three or four years of doing what you're doing? I think, you know, it's, it's, it, yes, you know, it, it's all of the above, but to the point that giving, tips to young people coming out of college um i would just tell people young people especially now that the information that 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 young people have at their fingertips the the uh base knowledge they have of almost every aspect of business and society and government that you know it's just we're in the information age where data and reading about things and learning about things is at your fingertips that i think young people know a little bit about everything, but they don't know a lot about anything only because they're 22 or 23 years old. So when you go into a profession, you know, really become a student of what it is that you're doing and learn how to develop that, that deep sense of understanding what you're doing before you start to expect success, if that makes any sense. I think, 
you know, it's it's just it's just hard. It's it's hard hard work, and there's nothing fancy about it. So yeah, have that unshakable confidence. Believe in yourself. Believe that you're you're doing the right things, but realize it's hard. It's freaking hard, man. Um, anything in life that you know is 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 worth getting is really really hard, and you have to go down that lonely road for a long time before you start to yield results. And I think, you know, we read about, you know, the Zuckerberg story and and this guy and that guy that sold his company for $1.6 billion at age 27. You got better chance getting struck by lightning than having that happen to you. Not to say that you shouldn't aspire for those types of stories, but it's kind of like this. You don't train for a 30-second headlock pin. You train for double OT, slugfest, nine to nine, you can't feel your legs by the middle of the second period and you know you're going to go. That's what you train for. That's what you prepare your mind and your body for in wrestling. And it's the same thing in business. Yeah, would I like to hit a headlock and sell a company for $70 million when I'm 27? You bet. And I would never turn it down. But that's not what I'm training for. That's not how you're thinking. You need to think like it's going to be the longest road known to man, but you're going to come out on top no matter what. And I think that young people need to wrap their heads around that more and more. And I, you know, I love talking to you, Tommy, because every time you speak, I feel like I get fired up and I want to go out and just start working right now on a Saturday morning. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so one thing that I was curious about with, you know, once you took the VP role at Handline, um, through wrestling and stuff, you know, you don't really have a lot of, um, like advising people or keeping an eye on people and being a leader, you know, you kind of just, do your own thing and especially with international wrestling you were just training to make sure that you were the best you could be so when you took on that vp role were there some difficulties with you know helping people and keeping people underneath you in line and that sort of thing was that different for you and how did that affect your day and your process it was tough um uh you know when you're when you're a sales manager you're you're a coach and um you're kind of a player coach in a smaller company because i i have some sales direct sales, uh, responsibility and accountability and, and, um, you know, so you're kind of player coach almost. And when I first started out, I, I gravitated towards me selling. Um, and I think that's partially because when I first started with the company that my whole goal is how do I justify my employment? You know, I always, I'm a numbers guy. So it's like, if, if I'm making X, then that means I got to return way more than X to the shareholder for for it to be an even trade and that's really how i thought it's like i i gotta cover my cost well the only thing i can do that quantifiably is to sell a lot of stuff and so that was my mentality for the first couple of years and then i got promoted to sales manager or vice president of sales and uh, you know I, I still wanted to be the guy not because i i wanted to take everything and and I just felt like that was the way I could contribute best to the company that by by helping people be successful, you know, that's that's more difficult to quantify. It's more difficult to to um to do. It's harder. And so in the beginning, I, I think I was eighty percent salesman, twenty percent sales manager, and that's not a good ratio. It's not good. And uh we have a board member, his name's Blair LaCour who was a mentor of mine and and he helped me and it's not because I wanted to I admitted that that's the way that I was and I wanted to get away from that and he helped me transition from 80% salesman to 20% manager to 
80% manager, 20% salesman. And I'm happy to say that I'm there now. And I spend a lot of my time helping, you know, our, we have 13 sales reps between the brokerage and Ohio, helping them build programs, helping them with their, um, develop their skill set. And yes, there's an element of my job that is sales, but now I'm really helping people. And um, it's more gratifying. It is also infinitely more difficult. It's not even close. Um, and like Woody Hayes says, it just it's all about people. So you've got to be around good people. You've got to be able to be available for them. And it's a challenge, you know, when when 13 people or you know six or seven people are are emailing you and asking you for their help. Plus, you have your own direct sales responsibilities. You know, you feel like I always feel like I'm failing somebody because I can't get to it all. Um, but I think that probably speaks to the momentum of our organization and all the good things that we're doing that that I feel like I can't get to it all. Um, but it was a tough transition. But you're, you're a coach. You're a player coach, but you're more of a coach than a player. And it is. It's it's something that I don't think I've perfected in the slightest. And I still feel like I'm a student in that sense. And um, But I do think it comes down to people. I think that it always does. And I'm happy to help them accomplish their goals. That's more gratifying than getting a sale for for my direct sale. It's more gratifying to see someone else get sales and knowing that you played a part in it. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, I think that's why, and I can only speak for myself again, but I think that's why Mike and I both feel so lucky to know a person like yourself because I think underlying there, and I'm sure you notice it, is that the reason that I think you think that way is because you're constantly focused on what you can give back to other people and you're always grateful for the situations you're at. And I think a lot of people go into jobs and go into careers and, they almost have a mindset on what can they take away from it. And when you change right. your mindset to how much can you give back and how much can you return to the people who help you get to where you are today, I think you get tenfold in rewards based in the way you feel and what you achieve monetarily. So I think that's yeah, I'm, that's big. I agree, man. And, and I'm going to make one more comment. I, I don't want to cut this off, but I have to. Mm-hmm. I can either call you guys on my phone or we can um, we can you know do a, a second segment later today. I do apologize for that. Um but I do want to make one last comment, and, and for young people, especially conquerors, as, as your you call your viewers, mm-hmm. when you go to work for a company in the business setting, one thing that you have to acknowledge is that the trade-off is not I will pay you, and that's that. I mean, the brass tax is that you have to provide more value to the company than than they compensate you. That is the trade-off. Is that I've got to return more value to the shareholder or shareholders than than they compensate me. And if my value to the shareholders continues to increase, I will be compensated accordingly. And that's how you grow within the company monetarily. And it's no different in terms of your development and your ability to be a leader within the organization is that I have to return value to the shareholder. Now, as a salesperson, it's easy. I've If I want to make... Uh, $500,000. Well, guess what? You're going to have to do a lot more than $500,000 in gross margin. A lot more. You know, 7, 10, 12 times more. And it's the same way if, if you're not in a quantifiable money type uh, business role. But you, you got to realize that that's, that's the trade-off. And so I think young people think like, you know, it's it's almost like an even swap. Like you pay me in an exchange, I give you the same amount back. I mean, that's that's not the right way to look at it. You have to continue to add value to the shareholder no matter how it is. And then if your value to the shareholders keeps growing, 
then then good things keep happening to you monetarily and leadership roles within the organization if you want them or or whatever it might be. But always realize I've got to give you more than you're giving me because you're allowing me to live my life, have, have pay rent, have a car, all these things. And so I guess that's my closing thought, guys. Um, without you know, I I'm sorry I have to cut it off. I got to get in my car. I can call you if you'd like on my phone. Hey, no problem, Tommy. Yeah, you're you, good. I think I think that's a good way to cap it off. I think that's a huge message, and we can always bring you back on again down the road and okay. talk more about you know how you can balance the things you balance today, your family and the and Rudis and handling at the same time. I think that'll be a whole episode in itself. Um, but I think that's an awesome message to leave on. What do you think, Mike? I agree. Hey, Tommy, thanks for thanks for coming on with us, and you know. Have a good day. Have a good Saturday. Thank you very much, guys, and uh, good luck with the podcast. I think it's a great thing. I'm looking forward to listening to all the episodes, and hopefully it keeps growing. All right, Conquerors. That's another episode of Conquering Columbus, and this is Mike here. Just want to thank you all for listening today and um, mention again briefly that there's a festival coming up called the Independence Day Festival. It's a two-day festival located in the heart of Columbus's vibrant East Franklinton neighborhood. Uh, It's going to host live music on multiple stages and have an array of art showcases and marketplaces featuring some of Ohio's most celebrated vendors. And Josh and I both think that you'd all enjoy it, so head on over to thisisindependent.com and check that out. And um, if you like today's episode, go ahead and head on over to iTunes and give us a rating. We really appreciate it, and it helps the cause a lot. And uh, you can also head on over to our brand-new Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash conqueringcolumbus. And um, if you want to support the podcast and help us continue to create great content, Please check it out, and uh, you get rewards for donating monthly and that sort of thing. So, uh, again, we can't appreciate our listeners more. And uh, this is Mike Minucci, and that's another episode of Conquering Columbus. We'll see you guys next time. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo. A desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.